Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. If you are new to First Tuesdays, the way this works is we'll talk with our guests uh, for the first half of the show, and then we'll open it up to audience questions. So if you have a question, you'll have to speak up loudly or you can come up closer if you want. Um, We'll make sure to repeat the question as well so everyone can hear. And yeah, we strive to keep it conversational and we're really excited to discuss all things judicial elections. The election is next Tuesday. So if you haven't voted already, it's okay. You have another week. All right. So today, thank you so much to our guests, Michaela Blaze, political consultant. Hello. Thank you for having me, Maya. Uh, and founder of the Judicial Accountability Pack, uh, co-founder and former executive director, and we'll get into all the details about what JPAC is, was, accomplished, and uh, attorney Ed Mullen, who is... Yeah. election attorney specializing in judicial elections. So I think to start with... Uh, why don't we um, have you guys each explain how you got into this political work and what in particular drew you to working on judicial races? So it's like a long and winding road that makes no sense whatsoever, <laughs> but here That's I am. I told you to go first. So I, I've always been interested in politics and I've been a lawyer for about 25, 26 years now. And at some point, um, you know, in Chicago, what you realize is that all of the judges that you're appearing for before in court are, are elected judges. And the quality of the decisions and the quality of the justice that's delivered in the city of Chicago is based on who gets elected. And who gets elected is very rare, rarely, or, or was at least very rarely before people got really involved in it based on the qualifications of the judge and and what the judges uh, are, are, how the judges are going to react to uh, 
tenant issues and to consumer issues and to employment discrimination issues. And so many of the people on the bench had come from the state's attorney's office, and they had a certain way of looking at the law. And so for me, getting involved in judicial elections was because I didn't believe that all of the city of Chicago was reflected on the bench and that it needed to change and and not only people who were state's attorneys um, and who followed a certain path should be on the bench, but it should include public defenders. It could should include people who were plaintiff's employment attorneys and understood um, the, the issues of employment discrimination, and it should be tenant rights lawyers, and it shouldn't just be state's attorneys. And so that's really what motivated me to get involved in judicial elections. And I started helping judges. And then I realized that if they don't get on the ballot, they can't win. And so then I started doing the legal side of it. And you know, here we are 15 years later. Dang, I, I hate that you went first because yours is all altruistic. And like, <laughs> I, I was trying to be a political consultant and there's a ton of judges um, and they need repres- they need campaign managers and and they have a lot of money. And so I was like, yeah, let me try this. Um, uh, but but similarly, um, I, I it was very obvious very quickly because I, I I feel like I was a bit ignorant to the whole concept. I assumed you had to be qualified in some way. I, I assumed that you had that you know, <laughs> so sure you have to pass the bar. Um, uh, but I really, I really believe there was there was more to it than than what I figured out that it was. Um, and to get elected judge, to get elected judge, what I, was it that you found out was to it? Well, I, I think soon, very quickly, you realize um, it's very similar to what, what I learned as the rest of politics too. Is it's about your crew and who sent you and who you're affiliated with. Um, there were some people that were judge makers, right? And um, they have they have their Ed Burke. Who, they have a system already set up and in place where they know which switches to hit to make sure that someone gets elected judge. Um, there were people who were valiantly, you know, like really earnestly trying to become judges, and they made sense. And their politics were rooted in experience and uh, in courtroom experience and in life experience that got no traction at all um, because they didn't have enough money. Um, they didn't have enough connections. They didn't go to the right parties. It, you know, so just um, I quickly w- needed to level up because that was a lot of my client. <laughs> um, um, I, I was very um, I get as we discussed earlier, I came out of Helen Schiller's camp. So I was very rooted in, I was very rooted in um, a very lefty plan for changing the judiciary. So um, lots of my folks didn't have a lot of money. So it, it, it was important to me to sort of meet as many people as I could and make as many connections as I could to help those folks along. Because oftentimes it was who you know helped you when you didn't have the money that everybody else had. All right. So uh, we're going to get to the Supreme Court races. Uh, That's Ed's expertise. And uh, so we'll get to that. Just want to let everybody know that. Uh, But I have to follow up on something you just said. Um, So there are people like Ed Burke who uh, can... Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
just the sound of his name, people start booing. Um, so there are uh, there are people like Ed Burke who can make judges. Okay, so why don't you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, what, how is it that Ed Burke and I, I guess you could throw uh, Michael Joseph Madigan's name in that list as well? Uh, they can make judges. And just one more time, the judges are at the bottom of the ballot, as you're going to discover if you haven't voted already, uh, or if you've discovered if you've ever voted. So what is it about being at the bottom of the ballot that gives a guy like Michael Joseph Madigan or Ed Burke that much power? Go. Sure. So the further down the ballot you go, um, the more voters drop off. So president gets, let's say, a thousand votes. Um, as you, the further down ballot you go, more people get disinterested, apparently, in their ballots and give up. Um, I think oftentimes when you see a whole list of judges and you don't know who you are, who they are, you just move on with your life. So it's for sure intentional that those are at the bottom. Um, but in terms of judge maker, there's lots of steps. Like there's there's um, lots of pitfalls, legal pitfalls that Ed makes sure that people don't fall into. Um, but they have to collect X number of petitions. Even just that process to someone who's been being a lawyer this whole time or, or a state's attorney or something, they haven't participated in a lot. Many of them have not participated in a lot of community politics and organizing and that kind of stuff. So even just getting petitions is, is oftentimes a problem. When you get those petitions, there's a whole racket of how you knock people off the ballot based on those petitions. Um, that was one of the things that I had to learn quick, quickly because um, the, sh the shame of a political consultant get, having one of their people getting knocked off the ballot. Um, but um, one of my clients, uh, for they put office address and she put the office address to her her law office. And it or, no, it said office. And she put the address to her law office and it was office. What office she was running for. And she got hemmed up in court for three weeks. And on the, on the campaign trail, that's three weeks you can't fundraise, three weeks you can't, that people are like, eh, she don't have her stuff together. Like, people move on with their lives, right? So there, there's just that piece. But beyond that, um, Chicago has um, Democratic Party committee people um, that pretty much control the organizations in each of the different wards. Um, and so having getting those connections helps you to establish yourself in that place. Those people can organize for you, get your name out, put, put you on that palm card at the end of the um, campaign cycle. They send emails out. They have people that knock doors for you. When you're just a lawyer trying to be a judge, you don't have any of that infrastructure. And so Ed Burke was able to plug Ed Burke and others. There's, plenty, there's, there's other people either that are king, kingmakers or trying to be kingmakers that can plug you into networks that can just help you move your campaign along. So, so in the mail today, I got a mailer from Cook County Democrats, and it's about this big, and it lists all of these judges that I'm supposed to vote for because the Cook County Democratic Party supports them. For years and years and years and years, Ed Burke was the chair of the Judiciary Committee of the Cook County Democrats. And so in order for you to get slated and on that mail piece, which goes out for the general election, but it also goes out for the primary, which is the main election for judges who are running for their first time, um, in order to get on that, you had to go through Ed Burke. And there are committee people who were outsiders who got elected over the last couple cycles and would say, 
I walked into the meeting and I was handed a list of who I was supposed to vote for, right? And so it wasn't the presentation, it wasn't the qualifications, it was who was on that list that was written by Edward. Yeah, for sure. And and we know there's some committee men who are like, um, in order to interview with me, you have to pay this amount of dollars um, for application fee, even to have a conversation with said committee person. Um, who might or if you didn't go to their fundraiser, right they now. wouldn't interview you. That's it. That's true. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. Uh, I didn't know there was like the paper pay for play at that at that level of the of the process. Well, the the other thing is the judges are required to pay. I think it's forty thousand dollars yeah. now. They write a check for forty thousand dollars to the Cook County Democratic Party in order to pay for those mailers to go out once so, they're actually endorsed. Once they're persuaded. endorsed, yeah. yeah. But but they they ask about your fundraising and whether you're going to be able to do that. You know, yeah. they, they're not going to endorse you if they don't think that you can can make that payment. Yeah. So, you know, Michaela, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, JPAC, the Judicial Accountability PAC. Um, and what can you just tell folks, you know, what that what JPAC was and what you all accomplished in 2018 um, and and what happened? Where where did you guys I, I, go? Yeah. <laughs> um, so JPAC was a collection of very um, wonderful, involved people. Started off with just a few and sort of grew people who, like Ed, like myself, had been trying vehemently to get um, good judges on the bench. Um, and, and getting them elected is, is, is quite a, a, a behemoth of a task, right? So um, somebody came up with the idea, what if we knocked one off the bench? There's never been a judge voted out in the last, well, it was like 40 years prior to that. 30-something years before we were able to do that. Um, so when when the idea came up, I think we, you know, it was like, meh. And then it was like, yeah, let's give it a go. And it sort of grew. So it became a collection of, so Ed, Ed came on to handle, because we had to raise money. So Ed handled all of our legal um, stuff and um, helped us with outreach. And we we sort of grew the board between people who could, bring money in because we need we needed to run a campaign against someone um, and every campaign costs money. So we had some people who could raise money. We had some people who had influence. We had some people who had legal expertise. Um, and and uh, we were able to pull off, like I said, the first time um, a judge was uh, knocked off the ballot or knocked off the bench in 30 something, almost 40 years. Yeah, and that was Matthew Coughlin in 2018. The Dump Coughlin campaign was very, very. I still give us, I still give us a, a round of applause for that. And so then in 2020, the JPEG was still around, and the campaign focused on Michael Tuman. But my understanding of what happened there was that Michael Tuman had a lot of friends in the Cook County Democratic Party, and the party didn't come out against him like they had against Coughlin, right? So. He had more juice, for sure. And again, this goes back to the earlier conversation. Um, so, th yes, th we didn't. I think the party said voted no on him, didn't they? They went no, but the, the mayor endorsed him. But the, j just a little bit of background there. Um, you know, we we had another target, and that target decided. Yeah, that we we had another target, and that That's target right. decided not to run. 
um, for for retention. And so um, we, we were kind shift. of scrambling and shifting at the end to to decide. Okay, well, who's the second worst person? Yeah. Um, Wait. So, yeah. so I, I want to get something clarified. So, did you just set upon it like a mission? We're just going to prove that we can defeat a judge, just to prove that you could do it. Or did you have a particular reason for defeating a judge? I would, I would say a, a little bit of both, Th depending on who you talk to on the board. Again, some of the money people were in it just for um, stuff and giggles, but. There were, um, we, we have, we work with lawyers all the time and, and Matthew Coughlin was a bad guy. Um, there, there were just, there had just been two people that were released after 26 years, 25 and 26 years behind bars for some, for something he literally created as a state's attorney. He, he, um, created a case against them that was completely erroneous and, and, and destroyed these people's lives. And, and um, many of the people that are, are Brendan Schiller, who was also uh, a part of JPAC, um, definitely one of the founders, he knew these people, these two fellows personally. And like you, you can see when somebody goes to jail, it's not just that one person's life that's destroyed. It's their family who's fighting for them to get out. It's the children who don't get to see them. It's the children who then their lives fall apart because they, they never had a father in their life. It's, it's the ripple effect is amazing. It, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. And I think it, it wasn't just a seat. If you could, if you could, it was really because we wanted to shake the tree. It, something had to be done. We couldn't, we, it was, it was too big of a lift to replace everybody, <laughs> but let's, let's see if we could get rid of one. And that would at least put all the other judges on notice that we're watching you and your job is not assured. Because up until that point, you could be a judge. It was like judge for life, basically, once you got elected. Right. I, I think that was really important was to let judges know that, that they did not want to be a target in the future and to try to influence not just that individual judge, but influence the people knowing that, that they, they were accountable. I mean, some of the stories you hear, and I'm not an attorney, and you can maybe speak to this more than I can. It, like, people, judges sleeping, judges, like, literally rolling their eyes, judges talking to people any kind of way, even their own peers knowing how how terrible their behavior is. Because, quite frankly, we had a number of judges that were helping us quietly. They couldn't do it outwardly, but they were helping us on the DL because they knew there were people who needed to go. There was absolute, it, it, it's the job you, that's the job you would do if nobody was ever watching or you had no accountability, right? I don't know. I'm, I do my job pretty well because I know that people will notice that I'll do it badly. If, if I didn't have that sort of accountability, well, I bet you I wouldn't, right? I wouldn't show up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the best I can. So this was, this was very much to shake the tree. Well, and so then what happened that, I mean, basically JPAC doesn't exist anymore, yeah. right? So what, what happened? We went on with our lives. We, <laughs> you know, is, is it just really hard I mean, hard it was a lot sustain? of work. It, it was, was a, lot a lot of work of, and it was a lot of pressure. Like, like there were a lot of people that did not like what we were doing. Um, yeah. And there were, there was a lot of pushback from a lot of different areas and it was, it was hard. And I think that, 
you know, if, if there were people to kind of come up and fill the pipeline and, and take over that, you know, we'd still be around. But the people who did this, you know, they, they, they were a little bit tired and, and burn out after that. We didn't start this to start a nonprofit organization and like work on this for the rest of our lives. We, I, we, we were all doing our regular jobs the whole time. And it, it is a tremendous lift. Um, it was a countywide campaign and Cook County is massive. So we were on the phones all day long, making sure that we were coordinating that pipeline that we had created, similar to Ed Burke's, but we were all the lefty folks. Like um, we went to churches, we went to anywhere that people were gathering to to go to go talk to folks. We had lawyers that were running around all over the place just telling people, um, dump Coglin. And, and which is why we selected one person, because literally that list could have been way long. But we picked one person because we were like, maybe they'll remember one name. And and we heard it back at the polling places and it was exhilarating. Well, the right did the same thing uh, in their way with uh, Kilbride, the uh, Supreme Court justice. And the uh, the tone and tenor of the times have changed so dramatically I'm thinking about to 2018. I mean, we're in the middle of the we were in the middle of the Trump administration, but right now, the notion of a judge, uh, how do I put this? A judge getting elected because he or she has compassion for defendants seems so out of touch with where we're at politically speaking in in this uh, in this state in this city where uh, the uh, Republican Party MAGA is trying to take advantage of the Safety Act. And they're scaring the heck out of uh, voters into uh, voting for Darren Bailey, against J.B. Pritzker, against Kwame Raul, go on down the line. And judges are the same way. I'm surprised judges aren't running like, I'm, I'm going to be law and order. I'll throw him in jail. He'll never see the light of day. You know, I'm, I'm surprised they're not actually doing that to fit the tone and times. Go. Conspiracy sister sort of thinks <laughs> that... Maybe the judges are behind all of this anti-safety act. Like they're just trying to distract from the fact that they're going to be responsible for who goes to jail and who doesn't. It's no longer a money situation. It's going to be their decisions. And they've they've made a, an entire mess of the conversation so that nobody is really paying attention to the judges. I, so a little part of me thinks this is this is complete. I'm 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 pretty sure it's FOP, but I feel like the judges are in on it. Well, they still have to make the decision. I mean, it's still up to the judge. Whether but, but, but now it's up to them, to right? It. So so it used to be okay. You know, you're in on a marijuana charge. That's five hundred dollars, and they they didn't have to think about it. Now they have to think. Okay, is this person potentially a danger? Is this person a flight risk? And I'm making that evaluation. And it used to be, if you sat in bond court, it would be like this, and they would just run people through it. Now they're responsible for deciding whether or not someone is a harm to the community, and that's, you know, the, the, the decisions on them. Wasn't the average in bond court like sixty? something like 60 defendants in an hour and a half or something. Cause it, it was, here's your name, here's your $50, whatever. And then the next one, next one. Right. And they just, it, it was sort of like a price list. It's like, you know, simple assault, you know, $5,000, you know, marijuana possession, 1500, you know, and, and they didn't have to think about it and they didn't have to worry about it because if they paid bail, then it wasn't on the judge. It was on the fact that they paid bail. Now, the decision is up to the judges, and so there's more there's more authority for the judges. There's more 
um, subjectiveness, but there's more accountability. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Although if somebody paid the bail and then went and uh, committed a crime, the, the papers would be focused on the fact that that person got out on bail. So, but right, I it would be on, they're, they're out on bail. It's not the judge's fault because the, you know, they paid the bail. Well, you could turn it into the judge's fault real simple. Well, the bail wasn't high enough for the, you know, they should have just held them anyway. So, but I get your point. Uh, I get your point. So before we get to the, the Supremes, do you think that uh, on the, the, the system we have right now of electing judges uh, with the uh, judge makers, as you call them, having so much control with the Democratic Party, my beloved Democratic Party, as I always like to say, uh, having so much control, do you think we're worse off as uh, a city and a county because of that? You know, I think it's it, I think it's gotten better, um, you know. There's always a debate between whether you have appointed judges or elected judges. And appointed judges, you say, okay, they're going to go through this process of evaluation and, and objective people are going to decide which person is the best judge. But, but, but who, who are those people that are deciding? Um, and what are they deciding based on? You, you want it to be objective. You want it to be based on who's going to be the best judge. But all the same considerations that go into whether a judge gets slated by the Cook County Democrats are going to be the same considerations that are going to come into play if they're appointed. Um, so I, I think there are advantages and disadvantages to each system. Um, we have a constitution that says we have elected judges. Um, that's not going to change. And so I think we need to, to live within that system and figure out the ways that we're going to make our, our court system as responsive and um, you know, progressive as we can within the system that we have. I have some sincere concerns about leaving these choices up to the general electorate. I mean, I mean, when you... When you, uh, yes, you're all brilliant and wonderful. I'm sure you did Because they're using hours. the election guide. You're from using the election guide. And you showed up here to have this discussion. So kudos to you. Um, but there's a ton of people who don't even think about it and even get frightened away. I will, I will let you know this, that 27% of people just vote no on all of them, which is, I think is fascinating too. So, <laughs> right? Just, just say no to everybody. I, but. If, if we don't, I think this is people's worst day of their life, right? Generally speaking, and leaving that up to the, the person on the bench, leaving that up to what normally happens, which is the name game. Like, oh, they sound black. They sound like a woman. They sound um, Asian. They sound like they sound like somebody I like. I know Tiffany. I know a girl named Tiffany. She's real cool. You know, like leaving that, leaving up. And this is. This is whether you have possession of your children. This is whether um, a rapist uh, believe if you're believed um, in court. Like those, these are ridiculously important um, questions or issues that need to be sorted out. And and it it literally is often we and we talk about it. Oh, you have a good ballot name. We you know we're like oh. This, this John John Jackson. So the black voters don't know you're black, so you'll get some black voters. Irish names are the best. Um, and, and we have sub-circuits in Chicago, too, which are smaller districts that some judges are elected from. And you go, okay, this is the Jewish district. This is the Latino district. This is the black district. And, you know, if you don't have a name that matches the majority of people in that district, it's often hard to break through. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, 
it's sort of a, uh, by the way, if we just went to, um, uh, select merit selection, which I, I hate to use that name for anything in Illinois, but if we just went to a appointed position, it'd still be the Ed Burks of the world controlling. Fair. I mean, yeah, I know, haven't come so, up I with mean, plan B. To sure. plan B. Well, so, yeah. The in 1970, after the during the constitutional referendums, there there was a referendum on this on switching Illinois to you know having a system where judges are appointed by merit, and uh, it was like very much opposed by the machine Democrats and Daily in Chicago, but it was actually the downstate voters and the suburban Collar County voters that were, those were the votes that like voted down the referendum. People there liked, liked the system that we have now. Uh, whereas like Cook County people were like, no, we don't want like machine, you know, the machine deciding who these judges are, but they're, yeah, the vote was overwhelmingly tipped in favor of the, of the existing system by, by the suburban voters. But speaking of the suburbs, uh, maybe this is a good segue to talk about what's happening with the Supreme Court races. So just in case anyone is wondering whether you are going to see either of these Supreme Court races on your ballot in Cook County, when you go to vote between now and next Tuesday, you will not see these Supreme Court races on your ballot. So both the second and third Supreme Court districts are composed of collar counties Nobody in Cook County is going to see this on their ballot. Which is uh, a, a shame because, in my humble opinion, these are two of the most important races uh, on the ballot. Uh, the future of so many uh, issues will be decided by the Supreme Court. Uh, right, there's seven members of the Supreme Court. Uh, right now, it's four three Dems. Uh, if the Republicans win both of these uh, races, it will be uh, four three MAGA. And uh, that's a pretty frightening thought to me. Anyway, and this gentleman on my left, I have to say this, his real name is Paul Revere, uh, because he's been sounding a warning about this uh, young Ed over there uh, for as long as I can remember. And we came on to my show before the, the boundaries were drawn. There's two geeks talking about the drawing of the Supreme Court boundaries. Uh, to this day, I think the Dems blew it. I believe they should have made a Supreme Court seat boundary that was like 90 percent Democrat, in which case there would be no problem. There would not be MAGA running the judiciary in Illinois like they run the judiciary in the Supreme Supreme in Washington. We, You and I debated that one, uh, if you recall. Actually, it wasn't a debate. I think you agreed with me. Um, so <laughs> It is rare. Usually you're calling a complaint. Uh, <laughs> So uh, talk a little bit about that, Ed, the uh, the, the situation uh, from the moment, the drawing of the boundaries, uh, slating of candidates that has resulted in this scary moment for democracy in the state of Illinois. Right. So I think you have to go back uh, two years to understand where this comes from. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce and and uh, Ken Griffin and, and folks like that spent uh, about $10 million to make sure that Supreme Court Justice uh, Thomas Kilbride was not retained on the Supreme Court, which meant he got elected, his term was over, and he needed 60% yes to stay on, and, on the ballot. And which and district was he from? He was in the old third district okay. before before redistricting. And so it was a 4-3 balance on the Supreme Court, Democrats to Republicans, and the Republicans spent a fortune to get Thomas Kilbride not retained. 
And the reason for that was because he was a Democrat in a district that was trending Republican. And we had not redistricted in over 30 years. So the, the numbers were very skewed in the different districts. So the second district, which then spread across the top of the state, had almost twice as many people as the third district. And the third district was tending Republican. So if we had left the, the lines where they were, we would now be in a situation where the second district would be clearly Republican because it went all the way across the top of the state. And the third district would have been clearly would have been a close race, but it would have probably gone Republican. And we would have lost the Supreme Court 4-3. So last year, the legislature redrew the lines. Um, and it's hard to redraw the Supreme Court lines. I give the le legislature a little more credit than, than Ben does. Um, because for the Supreme Court, you redistrict by county. So you can't like split a county in half or take a little piece of this district and a little piece of this district and put them together. You have to do it by whole counties and they have to be contiguous. You can't say we're going to take this county and this county. Um, so it, it's a little bit more difficult than it sounds. And what they created were two districts that are a hair Democratic. If you look at the vote for J.B. Pritzker in the last gubernatorial election. They're a hair Democratic, both of them. And so they're both races that we could win and they're both races that we could lose. And if we lose them, all of the things that you're seeing happening at the United States Supreme Court are possibly going to happen in Illinois. So questions about abortion, questions about civil rights, questions about the administrative state. And I, I don't know if all of you have followed the environmental regulation cases, but the, the Supreme Court is basically gutting our right to clean water and clean air and, and environmental protections and the entire administrative state. All of those things could come to Illinois if we lose these races. And they are going to be extraordinarily close races. Um, the amount of money that is going into these races is, is insane. Um, and the amount of uh, the Democratic Party and, and the Chamber of Commerce and the Republican Party you know, they're focusing their ads, they're focusing their outreach on these two seats because the Republicans know that they're not going to win the General Assembly. The Republicans know, despite what they might say, that they're not going to win the governor's race. But what they could win is the Supreme Court. And if they do that, they're going to knock down everything that the General Assembly and the governor put through. So right now, there are two cases in the courts on abortion. Um, one was our law that got rid of the, the trigger, um, that said if, uh, Roe was overturned, we would go back to, um, having, you know, significant restrictions on abortion. That case is on, uh, is, is in the courts right now and is likely to get to the Supreme court. Uh, there's another case on HB 40, which, you know, we don't have a lot of time to go into that, but it's another abortion rights case. Supreme court is going to decide both of those. There are gun rights cases. The Supreme court is going to decide in the next couple of years. Um, if we do not win these races, we are going to lose these cases. We're going to lose these rights and we are going to not be a, a blue state because everything blue that we do is going to be knocked down by the Supreme Court. So these are extraordinarily important races. And while they are not in the ballot in Cook County, they are in Lake, they are in Kane, they are in Will, they are in DuPage, Kankakee, McHenry. So you have friends, you have relatives, you have time to go knock on doors, you have time to do phone calls. Um, in Illinois, I do not think there are any more important races, sorry, Fritz, 
um, than these Supreme Court races. Well, and so as you're observing this, what is the, I mean, what's, what do you see, what do you see as a situation on the ground? Like, what is the level of organizing over there? What, how hard are the Republicans going in those counties? Like, we're over here, you know, watching on the sidelines. What are you seeing in terms of how is it, how is it trending? So there's a lot of money going into these races. I can't, I can't see a lot of ground game. It, it's more digital and TV and mail um, than it than it seems to be ground. Um, and and there's just a ton of money coming into it. And there's a ton of money coming in on the Democratic side as well. Um, my understanding is that the races are both very close and they could go either way. Um, you know, if you follow the money, um, Mary O'Brien, uh, who is uh, Mary Kay O'Brien, who is the appellate court justice in the third district who's running in the third district is, you know, every single day I see, you know, 50,000, 25,000, a hundred thousand being donated to her. Um, there's a Republican commercials too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a Republican pack called all in for justice or all for justice. And, you know, they, you see a hundred thousand dollars, $500,000, you know, the, I haven't sat down and added up the, the money, but, but, this is, I, looking at it from where I'm sitting, working with some candidates in these races, the Republicans are spending more money on these races than they are on any other race in the state. Well, and just a couple of weeks ago, the, the, there was this federal lawsuit in, in, in the federal court now about the uh, law that was passed last year that bans uh, out-of-state donations and money from PACs that don't disclose donors uh, in Illinois judicial contests. So now there's an injunction on that law, so it's no longer in effect now three weeks before the election that happened. So do you, how significant is that going to be for these races? Is there going to be, are we going to see even more money flooding in or have we? I think it's kind of too late for that. Um, And I think the people, I think the people that, that have that money figure out ways to give it without, um, you know, being, being restricted by those rules. Um, So, 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 so number one, let me say, I read the law when they passed it, and I said this is going to get overturned by a federal court. I mean, it, it it wasn't a constitutional law under the way the Supreme Court has ruled in Citizens United. Now, I don't agree with that decision, but that decision really made these laws um, very difficult to defend in court. And so it's not a surprise. Um, the out-of-state donations, um, I think, are less important because if I um, want to give money out-of-state, I can give to a C4 and the C4 in-state can give. So so there, there are channels. And if you've got a lot of money, you can figure out how to use those channels. Um, so I have not seen a big change in the donations. And I was telling Ben, you know, my morning coffee is sitting looking at the State Board of Elections uh, filings to see who's getting money and who's not getting money. And I just haven't seen it change since the law has just changed. Just for layman, anytime you, um, uh, you, you receive a donation over $1,000, you have to submit a piece of paper saying you got that donation within th- 48 hours. No, no, well, two, two business days two business within days. 30 days of the election. So, Give or so take. that's that's what he means. Like every time somebody files one of those pieces of papers, they they post it on the state elections website, and Ed's just there, like ding. He's got the he's got the notifications for it on his phone. All right, so 
and I want uh, you both to put on your sort of political consultants hats for this one. Uh, the most, in my humble opinion, the pivotal issue in these Supreme Court races is the issue of abortion. Uh, and uh, I feel as the way the, the, if the Democrats have dropped the ball, and I really got a lot of problems with the Democratic campaigns, is that they haven't done enough to accentuate this point. I was just reading the Injustice Watch uh, article about the Supreme Court race, and I had a smile because in the article they quoted uh, one of the, what's it, the Schneidler family? They've been around forever fighting abortion. Eric, the baby, it's the kid, not the dad, was Joseph. I don't know if you remember him. And he was saying, oh, abortion is not that big an issue. This is a man who has spent his life fighting abortion. I'm for these Republican candidates for other reasons. And I'm like, yes. Well, but the, my point is, is that they know it's a losing issue for them. So they downplay it because they want to just make it seem as, oh, when abortion's legal, that's what Darren Bailey always does. Oh, but what are you talking about abortion? Abortion, what do you care what my position on abortion is? It's legal in the state of Illinois. And that's where the Republicans are at. And I feel it's incumbent upon the Democrats just to just say abortion, abortion, abortion. Then you get these candidates. This is what I'm leading up to. They go, well, you know, I'm not allowed to give my personal point of view about uh, what I about a case before it comes to me. I'm like, do you think life begins at the moment of conception? Do you think that's murder? I think that's permissible to say whether you believe that's murder. That's the central point of MAGA's position against abortion, that it's murder. So why would that be so bad for Mary Kay O'Brien or Elizabeth Rochefort to say, no, I think that's freaking lunatic to compare that to a murder that may happen in the street. I don't understand where the Democrats are coming, Ed, uh, Mikhail. I just don't understand why they continually play the game as though the other side doesn't have like an ax that they're whacking them over the head with. And they play like, it's oh, it's a nice little political discussion. Help me out with the Democratic strategy to pretend as though they can't have an opinion about something so fundamental as abortion. Ed, go. So, so the advantage, I think, is we have independent expenditures committees that are being funded by uh, like personal PAC and, and other groups that are much more focused on the abortion issue than the candidates themselves have been. And so that message is getting out there. Um, and, and the ad that you were talking about that Mary Kay O'Brien did um, focuses on abortion as well. There is a judicial canon that says that judges are not supposed to talk about issues that might come before them. Um, there is also a Supreme Court case called the Republican Party of Minnesota versus White, which is literally the only case that I agree with Justice Scalia on over <laughs> Justice Ginsburg. Like literally the only one out of like a thousand cases that the two of them have been involved in. Um, but what that case said is, um, in Minnesota, like in Illinois, judicial elections are prescribed by the Constitution. And what they said is, if you're going to tell people that they have to vote on judges, then you have to give judges the First Amendment right to say where they stand on issues. So there are two very specific things that judges can say. One is they can say whether they agree with past decisions. So it is permissible, in my opinion, for a judge to say... I agree with Roe v. Wade, and I do not agree with Dobbs. I think that is perfectly permissible for judges to say. I also think it's permissible for judges to say, I am pro-life, or I am pro-choice. I think that's perfectly permissible. Um, in the judicial community, they disagree with me. Um, there is this sense that judges are supposed to be above the fray, 
Um, and it's not political. It's much more the legal community saying, you know, we we are we're, we're not running for state representative. We're running for judge. That's supposed to be more respectable. And, um, you know, we, we shouldn't get down into those issues. And and they, they, they use the canon to try to say that we're not allowed to. And, and that's just wrong. So they so they show up at a right Illinois right to life convention and speak there. But when you ask them point blank. They're, oh, we can't talk about it. Right. I think they point to the canon so they can stay sort of neutral on things and get, and get as many voters as they can. But herein lies yet another problem with them being elected. If they're not supposed to talk about issues, and I I, I get it. I get what, what the canon was, was trying to preserve. They're supposed to be looking at the law, right? It's not supposed to be subjective. You know, it's the whole blind lady with the scales and whatnot. So um, that's why they say they can't talk about issues. <laughs> Wait, but it, but right? is Scalia objective? Come on. I mean, exactly. I mean, I agree. he's highly qualified. I, agree. I don't care. But then like, you, he's highly qualified to figure out how to take abortion rights and highly qualified about how to put religion in schools and highly qualified about how to destroy the administrative state. I don't want someone who's so, highly qualified. I want someone who agrees with me. Should you put someone on the campaign trail, though? Agreed. Do you, should you put someone on the campaign trail and then tell them they can't talk about issues? I, I, I think the whole thing is banana. It's crazy. I mean, you got right now, and the only one who really plays the game, the Democrats. Look at the Supremes right now. Oh, you mean plays by the rules. These phony, <laughs> d- dumb rules. Yeah. It's, if when only one side plays by the rules, it's not. there are no Th- rules. There's no rules. There's yeah. one side like, oh, I'm going to go to a boxing match and put one arm behind my back. Oh, I lost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like right now, the Supreme Court judge, uh, Jack, she, she's, she's not going to rule on affirmative action because uh, she, I forget what reason. Meanwhile, Clarence Thomas's wife is like, I'm part of the, January 6th insurrection, but he gets to rule on anything. Only one side plays by the rules, Ed. I mean, what the point? So why even abide by this? Might plead to Democrats across the board on everything. Stop playing right. by Stop. the rules. There right. are so no I, rules. I, I don't, I don't, I, I, first of all, I think we over, the judges, in my opinion, are saying the rules prohibit them from doing more than they are allowed to do. And I think they do that because they don't want as Michaela said, they, they don't necessarily want to tell you what they believe, right? And this is a nice escape hatch for them to avoid telling you what they what they really believe. Um, and what you might not like, which would make you not vote for them. So this right. way, so they if I be, tell you what I believe, you everybody. may like that, but you may not like right. that. And so I lose some of it. But if scam. I say, oh, I can't answer that, then I might get you both. Mm. I, I think we we can open it up to some questions now too, and we'll continue talking as well. But if anybody's got a a burning question, oh, there Frank has a burning question. I I would be surprised if he didn't. So so say your question, then I'll repeat it. Okay, so first question is, what are the odds of the legislature court packing the way they did in Arizona Arizona and Georgia? That's the first question. Zero. The Constitution does not allow it. So, So we have a Constitution that sets the process for 
um, people being elected to the Supreme Court. And so the only way that that could be changed is through a constitutional amendment or through a constitutional convention. So second question, I really want to get into this a little bit deeper because it's a great question. What are the odds that Tim Evans, who is up for retention uh, on the November ballot? So just a quick detour, everybody. Again, when you get when you get to that judicial part of your ballot and you're in the voting booth with the Injustice Watch guide or, you know, you've got it pulled up on your phone, you've got your paper copy that you grabbed here tonight. As you go through the names of people that you have to vote yes or no on to keep them on for another six-year term, if they're a circuit court judge or another 10-year term, if they're uh, an appellate court justice or a Supreme Court justice. Uh, we got one, Mary Jen Tice, who's the new chief justice of the Supreme Court. She's up for retention on our Cook County ballot. But anyway, as you go through the circuit court judges, you may be surprised to see that Timothy Evans, the, the, the chief judge of Cook County, uh, is on the retention ballot. So back in September, he was... Uh, unanimously reelected to like an eighth term as a chief judge. It's the judges that we elect that select the chief judge. So we, the public, don't get to decide whether he's going to be chief judge or not. But whether he gets to be a judge at all is our call every six years. And so this is, I don't even know what, how, how what, what term number this is. I think he's been a judge since 1994. Uh, that, and so this, he's up again. It's been six years since the last time the people of Cook County voted to retain him. Uh, yeah. And I'm just curious that like Frank, what, what are the odds that he doesn't get retained? I think he's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. I I think he's going to be fine too. I think, um, you know, on, uh, at least on the progressive side of the, of the aisle, um, you know, the work that he's done on cash bail and and some other issues has been has been positive, and I think he hasn't gotten you know he hasn't raised the hackles of of as many people as he might have. And then you know the people who are the insiders are, are of course we're going to retain this person. He's our chief judge. They're not even going to think about not retaining him. So um, I think there would have to be a much more organized campaign. Uh, to do that. I think there are a few people that don't want him there, but I don't think, I don't think, you know, that, that the mayor who's pointed at him for a lot of the public safety issues is actually going to go out and, you know, use her political capital to campaign against him. She hasn't. And I think that's the point, right? Um, Similarly to what we had to do with um, judicial accountability packets, you have to mount a campaign. You would hear about it. You would see commercials. You would see the gen again. The, the general electorate is not paying attention. So you you would hear his name a lot. You would see you would see ads. You would see all sorts of stuff. And I haven't seen any sort of organization in that in that way. Well, and we we had him on the show with Ben last summer, and this is a question that I asked him then. And of course, you know. I think one of the reasons why he's such a successful politician is that, I mean, you you just never have the impression that you're not getting your question answered, but he never says anything at all. But the the question I had for him was like, what do you do for your constituents? Like, what do you do for the judges that re- keep reelecting you as the chief judge? They keep, I mean, sometimes there are contested races. There wasn't one this year, but every few three-year cycles, somebody will try to challenge him and they inevitably lose. What do you guys think he does for these circuit judges that vote him into that position as chief judge that he just keeps keeps getting re-upped? 
he gives the assignments, right? So, like, do you want to, like, work at the bar or do you want to be the the person you in the bathroom? Do marriages in the basement right, all day. Right, right, right. So he gives assignments. And um, so you, you want to you be nice to him. So maybe even if you don't like him that much, do you want to campaign against him and be in traffic court all is traffic court bad? I would imagine is he actually vindictive is, like that? I I don't I can't say one way again. Not an attorney. I don't I don't operate in a courtroom. But if I had that power, maybe I might think about it. You don't like me. You cannot like me in traffic court. It's how. But that's why that's why I'm not chief judge. So let's just say that. You know I, mean, I mean, they, they call like it judge's jail. I mean, it's got a name. Well, judge jail is real. Judge jail is for misconduct, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but, but does he get to pick who goes to judge jail? Yeah. Oh, but the people judge that jail. the people that I know who went to judge. So judge jail is they're still on the payroll, but they just have to go sit in a room. It's like detention for some amount of time, though. Like it could be weeks. You just have to sit at a desk. You have to be there on time. You have to clock in and out. And you sit at a desk and you don't do anything. It's Is even that right? it's even less work than like when cops get put on administrative duty. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like they yeah, don't that sounds do right. Do any paperwork? But you still get paid. Oh yeah. Well, jail sound pretty good Judge to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, d- there's another question over here. So what happens when judges aren't retained? Like what happens to their seat? Right. So so they will end their term on the day that new judges are sworn in and in December and the Supreme Court nominates or the Supreme Court appoints um, their replacement and the replacement will be there until the next general election. So so the the people that we elect to be on the Illinois Supreme Court are the ones who are going to appoint the people to fill the vacancies on the circuit court until the next election. And oftentimes being on the bench as a appointed judge gives you a leg up on a lot of the uh, things that you need in order to run for uh, election in the next cycle. So That's it's a it's point. a benefit. You get That's to run point. as judge, whatever. You get to run with the name judge. That's yeah, a big deal. once you've been appointed. Um, other questions out there? Question. Yeah. So you just said that you don't think um, Evan has a chance of being a female, but if you guys get to pick one person, everybody here goes, oh, because everybody, we want one person off. Who is it? Okay, yeah. so the question is uh, you all don't think that Chief Judge Evans is going to lose his retention election, but this cycle, if you guys were going to pick somebody who everyone should vote no on, who would it be? Don't point at me. I'm not answering this question. I don't endorse or non-endorse any candidates, and neither does Injustice Watch. So this is all for you all. Ready? I, I, Set, I go. actually don't. <laughs> there, there's, read your guide. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some really good information in there. There's some people, I mean, it really does depend on your politics. There's some people that I think that, that um, are too harsh. And but other people are like, man, they did something bad. They should stay in jail for a long time. I mean, it really does. You have to. Is there a Coglin type of person this year? Yes. 
I have we spent a lot of time and energy identifying Matt Coglin. We did so much research. We created videos about him. I mean, like it was it wasn't just like, you know, that guy Matt, he's he's a jerk or whatever. Like we we did a deep dive. We asked a ton of people. We asked a bunch of different like um attorneys of different races, cause cause black attorneys are treated differently in courtrooms than white attorneys and Latino, you know what I mean? Men are di- treated differently than women. We asked, a, and nobody liked that dude. So I, 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 I think this is why the Injustice Watch um, uh, a booklet is so important because you can figure out what's important to you and, and, and make your, uh, make your suggest or make your vote accordingly. I don't know. So I I don't have an answer to that question. I'll just be straight up honest with you. I, I'll I don't. tell you um, later. I I I I, I, I no I, I I I got suggestions from people on what to do on certain judges, but the judges that I appear before who were on the retention ballot, I voted in favor of retaining all of them because I thought they were all good judges. But I have a narrow practice, and so there's only a few judges that I generally appear before, and I appear before them regularly. And they are, when you talk about Judge Jail, like in the pyramid of judges, they're closer to the top. So they're usually the better judges that have sort of risen to the top in the county division. So I I don't personally have judges that I am appearing before now regularly that I would recommend you don't retain. So I don't have personal information or, or other information that would lead me to say don't retain someone. But there are some judges I didn't vote to retain based on the materials that Injustice Watch and Vote for Judges provided. How many judges are there? There's There's... There's 60, there's 61 judges on the ballot. What I will also add to this, which is not uh, telling you how to vote at all, but as you go through, like if you use our guide, you'll see where these judges are assigned. There are only two judges on this ballot who are currently hearing felony cases at 26 in California, the main courthouse in Cook County. And there's a third one who spent most of his time there this past this past term, and he only transferred to Chancery in like December of last year. So when you're talking about like, who's the Coughlin of this year or whatever, if you're imagining like, who is like a criminal court judge, who's, you know, pe- people have issues with or whatever, the pool of people, like if you're interested in criminal court judges, the 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 pool is very small and every single judge, we have an explanation of where they're assigned. If you don't know what the chancery division or probate division is or whatever, we have a little glossary for you to be able to navigate that. Uh, But the vast majority of these judges are going to be people whose names you've never heard of, who are assigned to hear mostly civil cases. um, And uh, they're not handling the kind of cases that are going to really make the news. And if they have made the news, you it will include information about that in the guide. But um, yeah, so my point is just that you don't have to worry about figuring out who among, you know, 60 people is this year's Matthew Coughlin or whatever, however you want to think about it. It's if, if, if your priority is like thinking about who is hearing criminal cases, you won't have that much information to, to sort through. All right. So all this question about uh, uh, judges, being worthy of being on the bench. 
uh, has inspired me to reconsider something I said, Ed. Uh, and so I am going to reframe my whole worldview with this question. Because of, of Ed? You, because of both of you he together. He made me re- yeah. reframe my whole worldview yeah. too. Well, it was more, uh, it, was, it was just the whole issue of perhaps I've been unfair to Republican judges. And so I uh, began by talking about the importance of this. I hope I didn't help you come to that decision. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, all this talk about just really judging a candidate as who the person is, as opposed to prejudging them by what their party affiliation is. So just because a judge or a judicial candidate on the Supreme Court, the highest court in the state that can rule on absolutely every freaking bill if it comes to it that we pass. Just because, Ed, just because that judge is a member of the same party as Donald Trump does not necessarily mean they're going to be a god-awful judge. But in this case, it does. (laughs) Okay, I tried. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, I do. I want to know... Is there any chance that we may have like a, what was his name? David Souter. Remember that judge, Supreme Court justice. And I think which, which daddy Bush put him on and he got uh, the pre-MAGA a man. a long way from MAGA, man. I know. Daddy Bush. <laughs> daddy that's a, Bush. That's a, might as well be a different party. Uh, so da- daddy, well, you also, daddy Bush put Clarence Thomas on there. So let's not absolve him. So anyway, is there any chance that one of these judges uh, will... I don't know, be not MAGA-like in their ruling. No. So the the, the Republican judge in the second district uh, is not a judge. He's uh, Mark Curran, who is the former sheriff of Lake County. Um, and, uh, you know, I sat in a basement with him in his recount four years ago when he lost the sheriff's race up in Lake County. Um, and... And he is—he—he he ran for Supreme Court because God told him to, um, and and he doesn't care that he's not qualified or that he's never been a judge or he doesn't practice law anymore because God told him that he should be on the Illinois Supreme Court and that's why he's running, um, and and I, you know, everything I could say about him beyond that, you know, is just going to make sense because you heard that. Um, the other judge. Judge Burke was appointed to the Supreme Court. Um, he was appointed in the second district, but he got redistricted into the third district. And he is much more the epitome of what you would think of as a a judge. You know, he looks like a judge. He sounds like a judge. Um, he's got a mustache, and he's he has a mustache, um, and he's much smarter about what he says but he uses the buzzwords that the MAGA people want to hear. So he says, I'm an originalist, I'm a textualist. So he was asked in an interview, you know, about the Dobbs decision in the Supreme Court. And he didn't say, I believe this or I believe that. But what he did say is, I am an originalist like the people that were in the majority, right? And so that defines pretty much everything about how he's going to look at the Illinois Constitution and how he's going to look at all of the issues that are important to us. The other thing that I tell people when they're looking at judicial races is to look at whose endorsements, um, you know, that, that, that you're, so he's got the right to life endorsement, but he also, 
you know, he promotes the endorsement of all of the uh, of the sheriffs and the state's attorneys, which is fine if you're looking at some of the in close district, but out in the suburbs, they're they're fairly conservative. But what he's trying to signal by saying, you know, I, I have all these sheriffs is I'm a law and order person. And so he wrote an opinion on a gun issue, a, a, a dissent in a gun issue that that he was going to get rid of a, a really basic um, gun registration requirement and find it unconstitutional. Um, he, it, it was a procedural issue, so he didn't actually rule on the merits, but he suggested that that he would have ruled against that. So he's very thoughtful about the way he says things, but he signals to people what he's going to do when he gets on the on the bench, not as 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 in your face and aggressive as as Mark Curran is a MAGA person, but he uses all those buzzwords to to show where he stands. What about the judges who are currently on the bench? Do you think any of them, the Republican ones, do you think there's any hope that some one of those judges were currently on the bench? Well, not- we don't know who who how would you know if they're Republicans? You'd have to go back and see if they were elected as Republicans originally. Well, no, Kilbride's judge is a Republican. No, that the kill the, the person who replaced Kilbride um, is is a Democrat and did not. Well, who's the like, the woman? I thought that, that was just put on the Supremes. She's she she's she's in the um, in the fourth or the fifth district. She's not in, and she's the first African American woman on the bench. Um, but she's she's got a fairly conservative record, and she's a Republican. Yeah, she's a yeah. Republican. So. Um, so do you have any hope for those judges that are currently sitting on the? I I don't. Um, you know, just having read the decisions that that they've you know been on the the newest justice, as you said, was just appointed recently. Um, so she hasn't written a lot, and we don't know where she stands. But I can't imagine um, that after all the money that's been put into getting Kilbride knocked off, that they would have you know, put someone who's not conservative in that position. But, you know, I, we'll see. I don't have a lot of hope for it. So, all right. So what Maya wanted me to ask you about, uh, your role. This is about to get spicy. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, in the, in the Mark Curran being on the ballot. Uh, so why don't you explain that? The way that Ben pitched this to me earlier was he said, Ed Mullen is really responsible for Mark Curran being on the ballot. That's what he said to me. So, so, I, I, yeah, this this was a fun one. It's a long story, but there there was a there was a, a Lake County judge by the name of Dan Shanes who the party really wanted to be the candidate in this seat because he was very similar to Burke in the sense that he looked like what you would think of as a judge, and he acted like you would think of as a judge, and he had a lot of connections and he had a lot of experience, and they thought that he would have been a great candidate. Um, he spent a lot of money. And, and Mark Kern beat him with almost no money um, with his his MAGA, no judicial background. Um, but Mark Curran was objected to, and uh, Nancy Rotering and Susan Hutchinson were also objected to because they said that the State Board of Elections had miscalculated the minimum number of signatures that were required to get on the ballot. And so even though they had submitted the number of signatures that were required, according to the State Board of Elections guide, that that was not enough. And so this case went all the way up to the Illinois appellate court. And um, we got the three of the candidates on the ballot, the appellate court, the general counsel, the hearing officer, the 
circuit court and the appellate court all agreed with us that we were right and that we had submitted enough signatures. But um, Mark Kern didn't have a lawyer. He didn't file any briefs. He didn't do anything to defend. So, so we would be facing, I think, a much stronger candidate if we hadn't pulled Mark along and gotten him on the ballot. And, you know, there were a lot of people who were very happy uh, that we did that. So uh, you were in there because of Nancy Rotering. Yes. That was your uh, client. So effectively what you did, follow me on this, was the lawyer equivalent of J.B. Pritzker running ads that a promoted DB Saying uh, that Darren Bailey is too the, conservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Watch was, out, he's too conservative. Yeah. Uh, so because he's easier to beat, it's the practical impact. Maybe. <laughs> We shall see. We shall see. <laughs> if Lake County elects Mark Hearn, we are in trouble. Well, I think we are in trouble because, because you know, when you think about it, you know, it's not just that he's going to be sitting on the Supreme Court, but it means that we have people in the state that think he should be sitting on the Supreme Court. We have, we have, we have you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that think this person who, who believes all the things that he believes, which are so conservative, um, should be on our Supreme Court. That's that's got to worry us. Are there any other questions out there? Yes. Are there any developing cases coming up in Illinois about education in regards to LGBT rights or uh, you know some things that we can come out of the states that we've scheduled some of these hearings on in the coming year or two that um, that we should be paying attention. Okay, so the question is, are there cases coming up in Illinois, like lawsuits related to um, education and um, uh, LGBTQ rights and like teaching CRT in schools or like book bans, stuff like that? Yeah. Right. So, so like Florida and, and some of the, like Ohio and some other states have passed, you know, the don't say gay set of laws that, that um, you know, and, and those are being challenged on, you know, a whole bunch of uh grounds constitutionally and legally. In Illinois, we actually did the opposite. And uh, Equality Illinois and, and their, their political director, Mike Ziri, passed a law this past cycle um, that actually said in Illinois, we're going to include LGBT history in our curriculum. And so the, the law is, you know, here is going in the exact opposite direction as it is in some of those states. So I, I think the question would be whether someone files a lawsuit to say that that is unconstitutional because it's forcing their students to learn about LGBTQ history. That case has not been filed, to my knowledge. I think I would know if that was filed. Um, but but maybe if we lose the Supreme Court, someone will think to file that. Um, but but now I don't think there is a case. But that's that's an interesting possibility. Yes. Well, I presume there'll be a lot of if if the Republicans take control of the Supreme Court. There will be a lot of lawsuits immediately. That'll be the Republican counterattack that they don't talk about uh, during the campaign. And you'll see it, particularly on abortion, uh, but you'll see it across the board as well. Don't you agree? Yeah, I think there are going to be a lot of union and pension issues. Oh, my goodness, the pensions, yeah. So I want to ask one more question, um, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, this is to get back to what's happening in Cook County with the judges up for retention. Um, and uh, notice that this year so so the judges who run for retention they have this committee to retain judges which is like some they they put their money in there 
and then the Democratic Party does too, and they just traditionally run ads that tell people just vote yes on everybody, you know, and they they print their uh, they print their palm cards and their lawn signs just saying vote yes on all judges. Uh, this year, it seems like their fundraising is just really close to non-existent, and they're not really spending any money either. Um, and I'm wondering what you guys make of that. Uh, is it just like now there's no JPEG, so they're not that worried? Or is it like they just, you know, nobody seems to be targeted? Is it what like it it just it just seems strange to me that they're that 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 they're raising so little money, a lot of the judges up for retention have not given to the committee, um, and they don't seem to be spending on anything. Yeah, I I think it's exactly what you said. They they don't see the opposition coming. Um, again, it takes a campaign to get rid of someone, and we haven't. They haven't heard um, any noise from anyone, so uh, they don't have to. I think also last cycle there was um, there were some people that were pro Tuman and that were against Tuman, and and like things got really fractured. People were like on one side or the other, um, and so. Um, some people, so I think, I think they're, since they don't see any opposition, they can, they see that they have a moment to like collect themselves because honestly, last cycle was a complete, like was super messy on both sides. I would say. Yeah, I, I agree. I just don't think they see the need to do it. Um, I, I have noticed there are a couple individual judges who are out doing their own things, which I hadn't seen very much in the past. What um, kind of things? Just, you know, their own yard signs and their own digital stuff. Um, you know, maybe it's circuit court judges who are thinking of running, you know, for the appellate court in the future. So they're trying to get their name out there. But, you know, I've seen a little more of that than I have in the past. All right. Uh, oh, we have. OK, we one more question. Oh, shout out to the whole Injustice Watch team over here in the house. Well, we are happy, and Justice Watch is happy to provide this crucial civic resource, and it's a great segue for us to close out the show. So if you are here tonight, you must also know that this is doubling as an Injustice Watch Judicial Election Guide distribution party. We've got stacks of the guides in print format over here in the front, so you can grab a few with you if you're connected to any community groups you know, I don't know, your church, your block club, whatever, please grab some guides to hand out to your family and friends and your neighbors. Um, you can find the guide online at injusticewatch.org slash judges. And uh, if you haven't yet gotten your delicious cocktail or delicious hot dog, please do so. Um, we just want to really thank uh, Nighthawk for coming through so last minute for us. 
And we want to thank Injustice Watch for sponsoring this whole thing. And we want to thank Michaela Blaze and Ed Mullen for joining us for this conversation. And um, I think, so the, as far as the future of First Tuesdays, with everything that has gone on with the hideout and everything else, uh, we're kind of still getting our bearings and trying to figure this out. Maybe this will be our new permanent home. Uh, but also, I'm about to have a baby in two months. So... We- <laughs> Not sure if we would have had a December show anyway, and definitely not a January show, but just follow us on Instagram at first underscore Tuesdays. We're on Facebook also at first Tuesdays, Chicago. Um, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. Ben is on his show every, every day, uh, at the Ben Jarofsky show. So just Follow us online and stay tuned for updates on what's happening with us next. But we really appreciate you all coming out. Um, and uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much. 